This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honors the often underappreciated by the masses of work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. Bar for bar every time, I'm Andrew Carroll. Spitting bars. <laughs> Today we are discussing the reanimator himself, Jeffrey Combs. Andrew, run down his history. Jeffrey Combs was born in Oxnard, California in 1954. He studied acting in Santa Maria in California and then again in Seattle before moving to L.A. in the early 80s. His first horror role came in 1983's Frightmare, but it was his breakout role as the mad scientist Herbert West in Stuart Gordon's 1985 cult classic reanimator that brought him to fame. So Combs would become a regular collaborator with Gordon in horrors like From Beyond and The Pit and the Pendulum. Uh, He is well known for his roles in various low-budget film adaptations of H.P. Lovecraft's stories like The Dunwich Horror and the anthology Necronomicon as the author himself. Outside of horror, Combs has had, a, has had success in sci-fi TV shows like Babylon 5 and The 4400 and has had numerous guest roles as various aliens in three Star Trek series. He has also lent his voice to animated shows such as Justice League Unlimited, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Transformers Prime. What is it about Jeffrey you find so interesting? Uh, I really like Reanimator. And uh, I based it entirely off that, not realising that most of the other horror movies he's in aren't as good as Reanimator. Um, some of them are still good, but none of them hit that kind of punk, like, gory, goopy, acerbic wit that Reanimator has in spades. This is interesting because I feel like we've swapped roles because prior to preparing for this, I only knew Jeffrey Combs from Castle Freak, a movie I've watched fairly recently, and I'll get into it a bit more, but it's a movie that I don't think suits his particular talents. So I was wondering, like, would I enjoy checking out more of his oeuvre? But like, similar to Donald Pleasance. And, you know, when we binged those Carpenter movies, I had a great time for the most part pre- preparing for this and, like, checking out Combs's, you know, frequent collaborators work, you know, Stuart Gordon, who mm. recently passed away. Yeah, R.I.P. Uh, a legend. I was going to say, where do you rank Gordon in comparison to some of the other directors we've covered in the last few apps, like Carpenter and Cronenberg? I've only seen a couple of Gordon's films. So I've seen Reanimator, and I don't think he made the next two Reanimators. No, it's Brian Yuzla, yeah, who's Brian like Yuzla. his creative partner. Yeah, it seems like. yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen so I've seen um, Reanimator from Beyond, and I think he was he d- definitely directed a segment of Necronomicon, which is probably the best segment. Um, and Pit and the Pendulum. And Pit and the Pendulum as well. Yeah, I've seen that. So I think. Okay, so Carpenter number one, of the directors we're talking about, yeah. Whoa, okay. Carpenter number one, Cronenberg number two, Stuart Gordon number three. I'll go Cronenberg one, okay. Carpenter two, Gordon three. Um, I feel Gordon pushed those older horror Poe Lovecraft adaptations Hollywood used to pump out you know, and made them more weird and more violent and more sexual, yeah. more fast-paced. However, what, like I think Carpenter and Cronenberg at the same time were changing the genre forever yeah, you know what I mean yeah. like Carpenter cultivating subgenres like the slasher or the siege thriller and Cronenberg making horrors as intelligent and as serious yeah. as dramas yeah. as good dramas yeah. you know what I mean but we'll, we'll get into Reanimator which is your favourite and yeah. it, it's Combs' most iconic role and um, it's it's a series where he is the star he is the, yeah. the yeah. title character yeah. <laughs> he is, yeah. he, he, he Stein, is Herbert say. West Reanimator Herbert West is at the top of his class in medical school. How can you teach such drivel? These people are here to learn and you're closing their minds before they even have a chance. What are He's you? brilliant, but a little weird. I've broken the six to 12 minute barrier. I've conquered brain death. His experiments have always been unorthodox. 
you watch a trilogy, Reanimator, yeah. Bride of Reanimator, and Beyond Reanimator. So I'll let you go off, King. Yeah, okay. Uh, Jeffrey Combs plays Herbert West, a medical student of unparalleled genius and madness with an obsession with conquering death using his not quite patented reagent serum. So he's this guy who's obsessed with, who invents this serum. We don't really, really know how. Um, this green, bright green fluid that he injects into uh, sometimes living people, but mostly dead tissue to, uh, in an effort to bring them back to life and conquer death. But the people he injects, the bodies he injects it into essentially become zombies and go crazy and start killing people. And it all goes to hell, basically. And he spends about 20 years doing this over the course of three movies. And Reanimator, which is directed by Stuart Gordon, is the best of them. And uh, not mostly because the script is so smart and funny, I think. It's really like, it's really witty. So like, Combs' first line is um, where he has injected his professor in Switzerland where he's studying at the cold open of the movie. And uh, the cops bust through the door and they're like, you killed him. And he's like, I gave him life. (laughs) (laughs) And... um, and I think that really sets the tone where this guy's eyes burst out of his head and he's like, no, I, I brought, I, I gave him life. And it's like, mm, you didn't really. Like, he's a, he's a shithead. But he's a compelling shithead. <laughs> yeah, he's a dirtbag. And he's, it's like, he's, he's just one of these mad scientists who's a mad scientist for the sake of being a mad scientist. Like, we never really find out why he's so obsessed with conquering death. And, uh, which I think is the same in the actual novella that Lovecraft wrote, uh, Herbert West Reanimator. And it's one of those, uh, Reanimator is one of those movies and you'd get less of less, less and less of this as this went on, but it's kind of like people thinking like, what if we got hot young soap opera stars and put them in one of the goriest horror movies ever made? Because it has, like, it has uh, Jeffrey Combs, who's the main guy, and then it has Barbara Crampton as Meg, uh, another horror icon, who I'm sure will do at some point in the future. And Bruce Abbott, uh, who are who were soap opera stars uh, after Reanimator, I think Reanimator was all three is kind of big break, and um, like it's it's basically Days of Our Lives as directed by Stuart Gordon from from a script by H.P. Lovecraft, <laughs> and uh, it's like and I think what really sums Reanimator up is um, Stuart Gordon saying like they wanted the shocks of Evil Dead with the production values of The Howling. And like the movie, the movie looks really good. Like it, it still holds up, r- holds up really, really well, and uh, and it is horrifying yeah. to varying degrees. Like a, a lot of the gore is kind of played for laughs. Like you have uh, Doctor Hill, who's David Gale's character, who's like uh, head is chopped off with a shovel and then reanimated, and he spends the whole film going west, trying uh, to hook up with Barbara Crampton. Trying to hook up with Barbara Crampton, which um, you know. <laughs> Uh, on our Barbara Steele episode where I was talking about the bit where um, in Shivers where uh, the scene in the elevator yes, and it's like hair raising and you're kind of like for me anyway it's like I'm pushing myself out of my chair but still looking at the screen because it's like it's horrifying but you don't want to look away at the same time there's a moment like that in Reanimator for me as well which is uh, what everyone uh, what a lot what a lot of fans will know as the head gives head does not quite accurate, but uh, it's the closest thing we'll probably ever get. Where um, uh, Meg Barbara Crampton's character is kidnapped by the headless uh, Doctor Hill and his body, his body, yeah, who is which also holds his, holds head, his head, yeah, <laughs> um, and like some kind of Abbott and Costello gag, and like he's straps her to a gurney and like strips her naked and starts using his head to kind of kiss and lick his way down her down her body 
luckily, uh, Dr. Dan Kane, superhero, and Herbert West, nerd. Um, <laughs> That's exactly what his yeah, vibe it is. is. Yeah, it um, is, so Some of the lines, the lines Herbert West has in that movie, like, outshine anything he says in the first two films, like, where he... Oh, in the last two films. In the last two films, sorry, yeah. And he, like, the, when, Dan, when Dan Kane finds out that... Uh, He's, his cat's died as a result of uh, West's experimentation. He's like, uh, uh, he tries to give the excuse that uh, it was hit by a car or whatever, or got st- it got stuck in a jar and it suffocated. It suffocated, yeah. 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 And uh, he's like, and you didn't think to tell me? Hey, West, and he's like, and what would a note say, Dan? Cat dead, details later. Yeah, such a funny, <laughs> I wrote that down. Yeah. And uh, it's like when he's talking to Dr. Hill's head and he says, and he's, he's talking about how he's going to steal his... Uh, take credit for his uh, reagents he's like you'll never get credit for my discovery who's going to believe a talking head get a job in a sideshow <laughs> I think the ending of that movie is also really good because um, like something happens to one of the main characters and it, they die and uh, Dan decides to use the um, reagent serum uh, he's crossed over to the dark side and uh, to bring them back to life and it really really shows how good the show don't tell philosophy is because for most of the movie it's like gore and stomach stomachs exploding and heads being cut off and you know intestines like flying out and wrapping around people's necks um so he uses the serum and you just hear a scream and it's like if everything we've seen so far is okay to show what's so wrong with this particular resurrection that we don't see it and it's a really good stinger, and they should have stopped there. But then they made Bride of Reanimator, <laughs> um, which has Herbert West returning to create a human body out of entirely separate parts because, you know, reanimating whole human bodies didn't really work out the first time. And he l- basically lures Dan into the process uh, by promising him a replacement for Meg. She was the one who died at the end of the first film. Yeah, so Doctor, so Herbert West is back with the, you know, Undertaker suits and the and the and the pedophile glasses, and Doc, <laughs> Dr. Dan Kane is back with his luscious locks and a flirty, if questionable, bedside manner. And it's it's like this one really shows how it's like the a very colorful and fun series up to this point, where it's in the mad scientist subgenre, like it's pushed the absolute legal extreme. Um, just because of just because of like you you look at all the things that are done to human body parts in this movie, and you're like, I'm not sure if they can show this. Just because there's a head attached to a foot and then there's a hand puppet, literally. It's a hand waddling around with an eye in the middle. Um, And, hey, listen, as I've said before, Herbert West is a manipulative, amoral, dirtbag shithead. But damn it, he gets results. Yeah. Yeah. At least until they start coming back and trying to kill people. (laughs) Um, And I I think the relation... This movie is more about... Whereas the first movie was more about Herbert West, this one is kind of about the relationship between Herbert West and Dr. Dr. Dan Kane. Mm. Um, where it's because West always kind of knows what uh, Dan Kane wants and manipulates his desires in order to get what he himself wants and it's a it's a movie about two guys that don't really like each other and don't really want to work together but force themselves to because they don't they both have something the other wants in Dan's case it's his basement is in Dan's case Herbert West wants his basement in Herbert West's case Dan wants his girlfriend back and this is the point where the movies start to fall off for me because uh, obviously the script isn't as good or as funny but it's Bruce Abbott's performance really stretching the limits of credibility because he's dating like a a hot young Italian woman uh, in this movie and somehow we're expected to believe he falls in love with the reanimated corpse Mm. yeah because that's that's how life works and death (laughs) and then there's Beyond Reanimator which is uh, 
crazy as well, which has Herbert West, who uh, Jeffrey Combs returned to the role for the third and possibly final time, uh, who has been imprisoned for murder for a murder committed by one of his zombies 13 years before. And he's continuing his experiments in prison with the assistance of the new prison doctor, Dr. Howard Phillips, who's played by Jason Barry, who people might know as Tommy Ryan in Titanic or Declan from Love Hate. Remind this uh, this point in Stuart Gordon's career because he had um, I think he had Dagon come out around the simil- a similar yeah. time. And this is Brian Yuzna who directed. The- Brian Yuzna, sorry, yeah, but it's like it's emblematic of these kind of really gory splatterpunk movies, like just before torture porn kind of became popular in the US with Hostel and Saw, and there was no space in the horror market for these kind of movies anymore, so they went to Europe. And it just reminds me of the Al Pacino quote in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. is like, oh, do you go to Spain and make fucking gore movies? <laughs> and uh, the main villain in this, whereas in Reanimator you had Dr. Hill, uh, who's really creepy and has a great voice. Uh, and then in the second one you have kind of a lesser one, but he's this really large, tall and fat uh, police ca- uh, officer. Uh, called Lieutenant Chapman and he's really weird and he makes a great zombie whereas in this one you have a Spanish actor called uh, Simon or Simon Andrew and the prison warden in this uh, Warden Brando is his name uh, is very different from Dr. Hill and Lieutenant Chapman in a bad way because he looks like a chuckle brother Uh, yeah yeah. yeah. and uh, like Jason Barry looks like he's kind of crossed over from uh, like American Pie or one of the, or Van Wilder or one of those gross I mean, he looks like a budget version of like Stifler Beyond Reanimator The Return of Stifler or whatever you want to call it I'd watch that oh, yeah yeah. if it was funnier I would yeah and it's it re- this is where the series really hits a low point because you know it's not as funny it's uh, it looks really cheap and it has that st- Tower of Babel style acting where everyone Stretching speaks their own language well. yeah yeah and uh, at this point you're like uh, like Herbert West has been doing this for 20 years from 1983 to 2003. At this point, you're kind of realizing, again, it stretches the limits of credibility in a movie where they resurrect dead people, where if every resurrection is incredibly violent and a miserable failure, maybe it's time to consider new methods of resurrecting dead people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's really married to the green goo. Yeah, yeah. At this stage, he's like, this is all I know. I could have become a doctor and saved lives, but instead, no. What's crazy for me about Combs in the first reanimator, because I I didn't watch the sequels, is that... um, I think on a script level, Herbert West is not a very funny character, and he's not even the most insane person in the first movie. Because as you mentioned, there's Doctor Hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like he's just this scientist that becomes so driven to defeat death that he becomes kind of quietly psychotic. Mm. And it should be said as well that Herbert or Herbert's not even the main character in the first movie. As you said, it's like the Bruce Abbott's character. Yeah, and Combs actually gets the and in the opening credits. But I think like Combs brings so much personality and flourishes to the character that he ends up sort of stealing the franchise. Yeah, yeah. Because, like he's speaking this kind of vague upper class English accent. Mm. You'd have no idea where he's from, yeah, yeah, which adds yeah. to the mystery of it. He has this like w- he will shift inflections mid sentence. He'll do these weird OTT pronunciations yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Get a job in a sideshow. <laughs> exactly, and he just brings this fey otherworldliness and. You never get a sense of exactly what his deal is or how truthful he's being. And I understand the desire that Brian Yuzna, who I think is involved somewhat in the first Reanimator and yeah, directed producer, the sequels, I think, yeah. why he thought people would want to see more of that. Yeah, yeah. But like, I don't, I can't remember who wrote, if, I can't remember if Brian Yuzna wrote the sequels, um, but I think it really, it just really lacks that kind of punk manic 
crazy energy and the really smart, snappy wit that the first one has. That's why they don't work. Yeah. Will we go from beyond? Let's go. Every journey begins in the mind. <laughs> A flight of imagination. A vision of what might lie across the universe. Or within the deepest regions of the subconscious. Dr. Edward Pretorius is about to embark on such a journey. It's out of control. You've got to turn it off. Something's coming. I prefer From Beyond to Reanimator, despite some janky elements. Enjoy recording the rest of this podcast on your own, Stephen. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I... Apart from there's a scene where someone gets a bomb just out of nowhere in From Beyond, which I thought was like really, I'm all for suspending disbelief. But like Reanimator, um, From Beyond, they have the, they both of those movies have this like John Carpenter the Thing esque level of practical effects, which yeah, are just yeah. insane, and they're really stunning. And I love how every time the villain comes back from From Beyond, from beyond. he looks even more terrifying yeah, and disturbing, yeah, yeah. and it's almost like a joke by the end of the movie. Yeah. yeah. But I find From Beyond's premise a lot more inherently scary and Lovecraftian than Reanimator. That idea that at all times around us, there are these monstrous creatures, but we can't see them. We can't mm. perceive them. They can't yeah. perceive us. And then someone opens that door. Yeah, yeah. And then the also the idea that like if you go over to that dimension, you'll like it. Yeah. And there's no coming back. And they'll and you'll want to bring other people to that dimension. Mm. I find that like so scary, so yeah, ghoulish. Yeah, it yeah. reminds me of like the mist. And um, I will say, I don't think Combs is the most versatile actor. I do think within these Gonzo horror movies, he had managed he managed to carve out a pretty versatile career. Yeah, yeah. Because his character in From Beyond, which is a movie based as a, it's on another Lovecraftian yeah. story, uh, with the same cast or a lot of the same cast mm-hmm. as Reanimator, is totally different to his character in Reanimator. Like in From Beyond, he's almost playing the role that Bruce Abbott plays in Reanimator. Yeah, like, he's, he's the Michael J. Fox of this film. Yeah, he's the assistant to the mad genius. Um, in Reanimator, he's this strong, driving personality that pushes the action forward. Yet in From Beyond, he's very frightened and is responding to the situation out of control. And he's a victim. It's, it's a very reactive performance. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's the best showcase for him, but he's compelling and he yeah. serves the movie. And I, I think the juxtaposition between his character in Reanimate and From Beyond is really interesting to see when you watch them back to back as I did. Yeah. I, I would like more filmmakers to do that and have a staple of actors uh, that you cast again and again in alternating roles because Barbara Crampton has like, not a lot to do in Reanimator. Mm, yeah. Uh, except being treated very poorly yeah, by a bunch of men. Yeah. And she, but she's the driving force in From Beyond, mm. uh, even if the movie maybe sexualizes her a bit too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, at least in this movie, yes. there's the <laughs> idea that like this door causes the sexual part of your brain to grow bigger. Yeah, yeah. If I, <laughs> if I, if I was Barbara Crampton uh, by the time I did From Beyond, I would be like, how does this keep happening to me? I know. <laughs> she's really great. She's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you like From Beyond? I know you, you're less I hot liked, on it. I liked it less than Reanimator. I still did like it. Uh, I love the colours. It's a very colourful movie. Uh, lots of lots of orange and purple. Because it's about like, Dr. Crawford Tillinghast, who is um, Jeffrey Combs, who's a science att- scientist attempting to stimulate the pineal gland using a device known as a resonator. And after accidentally discovering creatures from another dimension, his, uh, his boss is Dr. Edward Pretorius, played by Ted Sorrell, is sucked in and changed. And with the help of Dr. Catherine McMichaels, played by Barbara Crampton, and Detective Bubba Brown Lee, who's played by Ken Forey, uh, Dr. Tillinghouse must try to stop the dimensions crossing over. And I think the key point there is Detective Bubba Brown Lee. It has one of the maybe the best 
deaths in like a horror movie because like I think most people just to come full circle on the topic of bugs that we started with phenomena in our Donald Pleasance episode um, I think uh, that movie is all about how people you know how bugs are our friends and can help us whereas uh, in this one it's like oh no bugs are bad especially when they come from an alternate dimension and eat everything of you below your shoulders which is what happens to uh, Bubba Brownlee we just do all the Gordons yeah I do love the bit in uh, From Beyond where uh, he Combs gets like interdimensional sight or whatever because of the little tentacle coming out of his head and he's like beautiful and it looks like a shitty thermal image <laughs> Jeffrey Combs on IMDb said it looks like a dog's dick on his <laughs> forehead that's true it does yeah, yeah it does yeah <laughs> As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one. What is Dublin? We have to explain what Dublin is. The Dublin podcast is an eternally pregnant woman. Um, I've been pregnant three times. Yeah, but you've been pregnant since I met you. Right, okay. Hanging out with a neurotic middle-aged toddler Mm -hmm. and the way that those two people from very opposing sides of the... um, World, see the see the world around them. Is that it? I Is think that a good it. explanation yeah, of it? That's a very good explanation. Uh, you can listen on Spotify. You can listen on iTunes. You can listen on the Headstuff Podcast Network. We're on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Up your Dublin podcast. Up your ear holes. And now back to the show. Okay, so pit in the pendulum. The Spanish Inquisition, a time when religion was fear. There is one faith, and all else is sin. Innocence meant death. And love was lust. You bemoaned in our Barber Steel episode the lack of a pit and pendulum in Roger Corman's 1961 masterpiece starring Vincent Price and Barbara Steele in a key, totally overdubbed supporting role. 30 years later, Stuart Gordon made a movie based on the same title. Did you get what you wanted? To paraphrase Gladiator, were you not entertained? Uh, no, I wasn't. Uh, I stopped watching it halfway through. <laughs> oh, I right watched a- the whole thing. Right after Oliver Reed is bricked up, I was like, right, I'm done. Oh, you didn't? I like that I like that scene. I think that's well, I compelling. I like that scene as well. It's a good, good fun, quick adaptation of uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Cask of Amontillado. But I think it was the last film I watched in the Combs films. And I think uh, I was kind of struggling with being disappointed too many times. So no, yeah. no offense, Jeffrey. It's not your fault. Um, at this at this point in time, we've had so many great horror novelists and filmmakers that uh, they're all about getting to the good stuff usually. And the problem with adapting uh, a H.P. Lovecraft story or an Edgar Allan, Edgar Allan Poe story is that the, they're great idea guys, but there's the execution was always poor, and in direct and in ap- adapting them, sometimes things can get lost in the shuffle. Mm. so like the things that people are really there for so the scares the gore the mad speeches and stuff that's sometimes that just either doesn't manifest at all or manifests in the wrong way mm. and I think manif- things manifesting in the wrong way is what happens in The Pit and the Pendulum I think the movie's really weird but I, I did think it was fascinating if not entertaining um, because it, it has less to do with Corman's take on the story and, and feels more akin to another movie we've talked I've talked about in the podcast um, Flesh and Blood the Paul Verhoeven movie oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's um, true yeah you're yeah, right because yeah. it, it's it's criticisms of organised religion and it's 15th century setting and it's, it's seeming desire to make the audience feel really uncomfortable yeah, in betraying yeah. all these like real life horrors and 
I guess you can make the argument it's sort of a thematic prequel to mm. the Corman movie because yeah. in that movie it was all about Price's character's trauma over having yeah. this dad yeah. who's this psychotic torturer mm. for the Spanish Inquisition who were persecuting anyone who wasn't Catholic basically and in Gordon's movie the main character is this devout Catholic torturer called Torquemada played mm. by Lance Henriksen almost too good yeah. <laughs> he's so intense um, someone who has tortured people for so long in the name of Christianity that he's lost sight of why he's doing it and is so messed up that when he sees a woman he's sexually attracted to he believes she must have put a spell on him and arrest her for being a witch (laughs) (laughs) and um, Torquemada has this group of underlings who help him torture with Combs uh, playing the record keeper yeah, of the, the torture. Clerk, yeah. And it's a performance that reminded me of like Peter Cushing or Donald Gleason in Star Wars. Mm. Like this type of bureaucrat figure who likes the power that comes with yeah, exactly, aligning yeah. with the bad guys but and is morally corrupt, sure, mm. for sure, but isn't that devoted to the cause. Like, he, mm. like He's not a full-blown psycho. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a pity Star Wars was on hiatus at mm. the time Combs was in his prime because he's, he's pre- I think he's pretty great in this. Yeah. And that comedic energy... Yeah, believe, he had to settle for Star Trek. Exactly. <laughs> uh, that comedic energy, uh, I believe, is hardwired into his performances. Mm. Helps bolster, I think, Gordon's satirical elements. Like, there's some black comedy in the whole, like, he's put her on torture level two today. On the book, she's supposed to be on level one to watch <laughs> other people get tortured. <laughs> or he also has the line where it's, how can they confess if they don't have tongues? <laughs> <laughs> and um, he also has this all black getup, like the cloak, the silly yeah. hat. The, the, terrible, the terrible wig. Yeah, it, it's gothic as fuck. Yeah, he's, the ul- he's, the ultimate, he's the ultimate medieval toady. Yeah, I also thought that when I heard that Combs was in this movie set in the 15th century, I thought that he was too modern, but he he fitted in pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Especially because everyone's just doing their own action. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's some really great stuff in this movie, I'll say. Like, I love how it depicts how terrible the 15th century must have been. I think what it's criticizing this religious devotion to the point of insanity is, is always timely, always we're talking yeah. about. And... I think the scene where our main heroine Marie is about to be tortured and she transports her mind with the help of a, another witch who's yeah. being tortured into this like serene countryside alternate reality to escape the pain like is really amazing. And yeah. there's a, the, you probably missed it at the end of the movie. There's this incredible gunpowder sequence where that witch character is about to be burned at the stake and she swallows loads of gunpowder so that when she burns at the stake, she just like explodes and loads <laughs> of people die. It's awesome. <laughs> Um, I did get a little bummed, though, when I realized the whole movie would be failed prison escapes. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it does get a bit repetitive. But also, Flesh and Blood, which is set in the same time period, is a movie where Jennifer Jason's the character goes through not exactly the same, but similar traumas to yeah, our heroine yeah. here. But it also spends as much time, maybe more time, showing her trying to reclaim power over the situation and find her place in the world. Whereas in Gordon's Pit and the Pendulum, a lot of it is the main character, Maria, played by Rona Ricci, who I think is kind of wonderful as this like beam of hope and joy. Yeah. Be mistreated by this like host of lecherous yeah, male yeah, Catholics. Yeah. And um, I, I get the point, but it's not that fun to watch. And uh, while she does overcome these struggles, like, spoilers, like, it happens in the last, like, 10 minutes of the movie, you know? Yeah, so you're yeah. a bit like, uh, it's a lot of women being tortured Yeah, this movie, yeah, you yeah. know? Um, wait, can I talk a little bit about Castle Freak? Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, I won't spend too long on this because it's the one I'm a bit foggy on because mm. I watched it a few months ago just randomly on Shudder. It's, it's on there as part of the Joe Bob Briggs series. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, after inheriting a 12th century castle which belonged to a famed duchess... John Riley, played by Jeffrey Combs, and his family, including his wife Susan, Barbara Crampton, and their blind teenage daughter Rebecca, travel to Italy to visit. 
Susan blames John for the death of their five-year-old son in a drunk driving accident, which also cost their daughter her eyesight. Okay, yeah. So the three plan to stay at the castle until they can liquidate the estate, but unbeknownst to them, the Duchess's son, who was kept imprisoned and tortured by the Duchess in revenge for her husband leaving her, still lives in the dungeons of the castle. There's this deformed castle freak, yeah. <laughs> essentially. <laughs> While based on an, another H.P. Lovecraft story, it's it's the only Gordon movie that I've seen not rooted in both comedy and the supernatural. Like mm. Everything that happens in this movie could feasibly happen in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has its pleasures because it has this great setting and interesting premise and a, a nicey, twisty plot. But it feels in its aesthetic a lot cheaper. And there's a scene where a female prostitute character is mutilated and she gets her nipple torn off Eesh. by the castle freak, yeah. which is really unpleasant. And it's it left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Yeah, yeah. And I hate to say it, maybe I'm wrong, because I've seen a lot of people defend this movie and Combs' performance in particular, but I think for the more serious tone this movie's going for, I know it's called Castle Freak, but mm. it is, it's going for something about grief yeah, and yeah. about, like, this character who's, like, a fuck-up. Like, Combs is miscast. Uh, he he's meant to be playing this perpetual screw up, um, dealing with grief and trying to get his family to forgive him. But he's so over the top because like he's doing all these tricks, you know. And Gordon's right back here in terms of his tone, but yeah. like Holmes isn't. And there's a scene in a bar where he gets drunk and accidentally picks up the aforementioned prostitute, mm. and he he just doesn't seem like a real person. Yeah. Like I, all I could think of was Jim Carrey in the mask. Yeah. You know, like smoking. Somebody stop me. <laughs> he's on that level. Uh, and like I just think this part requires a bit more nuance, and it might not be a Combs problem because like I think the script is not the best either. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe better than something you'd expect. Yeah. For a movie called Castle Freak, but not as good as you know Gordon's other yeah, movies. Yeah. You watch Necron Necron Necronomicon. Yes. From the very depths of hell. And the blackest regions of the imagination. It is coming. H.P. Lovecraft's Necronomicon. The Book of the Dead. Strange tales of the supernatural and the unearthly. Don't push me away! A terrifying trilogy inspired by the horrific works of the original master of horror himself. Uh, Jeffrey Combs plays Howard Phillips Lovecraft, the writer of weird tales seeking out the Necronomicon. The Book of the Dead, written by the mad Arab Abdul Al-Hazred, contains the secrets of the great old ones which Lovecraft intends to use for his stories. It's basically Lovecraftian revisionism because the book is guarded by a lot of uh, monks that seem to be uh, kind of 20th century Harry Krishnas or something because they all wear orange and white robes and have like the little top knot. They're all um, from South Asia and it just shows uh, how revisionist it is in that Lovecraft doesn't run screaming when he sees brown people. So, and that's the problem with a lot of Lovecraft adaptations. Uh, not necessarily Reanimator or From Beyond, but that... Uh, a lot of them either ignore or are unaware of the author's like notorious bigotry, and I think failing to address that makes the stories and protagonists less interesting. Like you don't have it in From Beyond because you have um, Bubba Brown Lee, and you don't necessarily have it in uh, the recent one, The Color Out of Space, because you have uh, Elliot Knight, and it's the just casting like a person of color in um, 
a Lovecraftian adaptation would have the man himself spitting in rage and he would have like a headache for days and would be confined to his bed. Andrew, didn't you write about this topic for Headstuff? I did write about this topic and you can read it there. We can read it on headstuff.org slash Andrew Carroll. We're talking about this now and Lovecraft Country is airing on Sky Atlantic, I think, and is very much about that kind of debate I guess you have with yourself where it's uh, it's this black character loves H.P. Lovecraft and really identifies with those stories and then you know comes to learn that he was a bigot yeah I think that's the thing like I think like his ra- his racism and his anti-Semitism and his misogyny are a product are a product of the times for sure. Like I think uh, just adapting these stories with like uh, a multiracial cast would really help not rehabilitate Lovecraft's image, but uh, rehabilitate these stories stories um, the stories image because people love to pretend that like H.P. Lovecraft was a genius with pre with like precognitive powers of. Uh, like nihilism and all these horrible things that uh, we live our daily lives with now not necessarily like social media but like the attitudes and atmospheres that we live with now all the time uh, when in fact he was just a great idea man burdened by like numerous illnesses and a poisonous xenophobic attitude both of which eventually killed him and yeah that's that's the main problem like if people were more willing to address who he was and what his views were I think the adaptations would be better and stronger and have a lot more depth to them with that said, I only managed to watch two and a half of the stories because it's an anthology. Or no, one and a half, sorry. But the first one is the best one because the effects are done by Tom Savini. And uh, it's called The Drowned where it's a really good um, uh, little story about grief. I'm kind of glad it stopped in the middle of the second one because I read what happened in the other two and it was like, oh, these don't sound that great and the effects sound kind of crap. Did you get to see Cone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. at the start and okay. in the, he's in between each tale as well. Um, and I think I caught the end on YouTube, but uh, yeah, no, he's he is good. It's just the problem that like it's an outdated view of H.P. Lovecraft, yeah. yeah. And I th- not necessarily that's an outdated view. I just think people were like blissfully ignorant or like willingly ignorant of uh, who the man actually was. Hmm. Like there was a lot of discussions at that time of like, oh, his stories are great and have influenced so many people, like Stephen King and Richard Matheson. But we don't see like obviously the whole concept of the other in horror, that which we fear, is often like projected onto black people or Asian people and not that H.K. Lovecraft came up with that idea but uh, he definitely perpetuated it to a dangerous degree Mm. we do the Frighteners? yeah yeah give that to me let me guess you have to get these ashes to consecrated ground in order to destroy the forces of evil give me the goddamn earth dammers under no circumstances must these ashes ever Oops. You have no idea what you've just done. You just don't get it, do you, Frank? This is all about your pathetic need for self-glorification. You are such an asshole. I haven't seen The Frighteners, uh, but it sounded good, and I'm sorry I didn't watch it. Yeah, it's this um, fascinating movie to me because it's directed by Peter Jackson, post-Bad Taste and Brain Dead, these mm. gleefully gonzo and cheap New Zealand horrors, but pre-Lord of the Rings and King Kong. Mm. And you, you really get the feeling he's, he's trying to fit the irresponsible, wacky vibe of his early work into the Hollywood system, um, you know, which demands certain story conventions yeah. and 
but it also gives Jackson the money to mess around with special effects and stuff. So after a tragic car accident that kills his wife, a man, uh, played by a brilliant Michael J. Fox, discovers he can communicate with the ghosts of dead people. But it's only dead people who decide, rather than going to afterlife, to hang around on Earth. And he uses this ability to con people, so he gets his ghost friends to haunt a house and then shows up seemingly to get rid of the poltergeist. Yeah. But he's yeah. not really good. Yeah, there is yeah, yeah. However, when a demonic spirit appears and starts picking off the residents of his town, he may be the only one who can stop it. So I like a lot of the Frighteners. It has a, a sort of fast-paced punk energy. There is some killer sight gags. We are introduced to Fox's character at his most scummy, showing up at a funeral to hand out business cards <laughs> before <laughs> crashing his car into someone's garden. It's like the vibe is almost like similar to one of my favorites war on everyone mm, yeah um and how and adding to this comedy and sort of stealing the film is jeffrey combs as milton dammers this eccentric fbi agent with a vendetta against fox's character mm. get a job in a sideshow <laughs> he believes fox killed his wife and got away with it um dammers was also a former undercover agent known for his work with cultists which caused him to sustain multiple massive mutilations and be <laughs> driven to the brink of insanity jesus christ the Freiners, I should say as well, Freiners features Orly Ermey from Full Metal Jacket playing the ghost of a master sergeant who's mean to Fox. So it's a movie that riffs on films that came before. It. And I, similarly, Combs was cast because Jackson loved him in Reanimator. And the character is essentially Herbert West, but dialed up to 11. Mm. Even to the extent that in Reanimator, it's suggested that West doesn't like powerful women because he seems a bit scared when Barbara Crampton yells at him over the cat. Yeah. In The Frighteners, Combs has a full mental breakdown anytime a woman shares with him. <laughs> um, he, and he's basically playing like a parody of the detective savant character so popular in fiction the joke being here that he has all the quirks multiplied like he's very jittery he can't stand still so many scenes of him going to sit down and then standing back up <laughs> um he has this condescending attitude he just projects the superiority but he's always wrong <laughs> it's so it's such a good joke there's this great sight gag where he's in the police station talking about fox's character and he says i seriously doubt we'll see mr bannister anytime soon the man is resourceful beyond anything you can comprehend as we see michael j fox entering the police station <laughs> from behind him <laughs> and um i i don't think the frighteners totally works because it's a cgi driven movie at yeah. a time when cgi lacked physicality so yeah. the look of it doesn't hold up great like from beyond and reanimator generally look better yeah also the storyline is a bit of a mess because it has all these different side characters and plot lines which i feel are there to distract you from the fact that the movie's driving mystery mm. is pretty easy to crack yeah i like its comedy horror tone and combs seems to embody this weird gonzo funny tone of early jackson which i think is similar to gordon but maybe less sexual but mm. more scrungy yeah yeah and after the hobbit films and the lovely bones uh, it's a, it's a mode i'd want i'd be curious to see jackson revisit yeah, you know yeah. so would you rather uh, i watched this on netflix not knowing anything about it but was pleasantly surprised i'm hosting a dinner party tomorrow night and i'd like you to join us There'll be other guests there. People who just haven't received a fair shake in life. And the evening will culminate with a game. Desperate to help her aiming brother, a young woman, played by Brittany Snow, along with a group of other contestants, played by some great character actors, unknowingly agree to compete in a deadly game of Would You Rather, hosted by the brilliantly named sadistic aristocrat Shepard Lambrick, played by Jeffrey Combs where the last person standing gets anything they want. Get a job in a slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is as 
good, but Would You Rather reminds me of the first Saw film in that it's like oh, watching okay. a grim social experiment while you are safe at home, you know, like rather than torture porn, which a lot of movies after Saw in that vein were yeah, later yeah. tagged with, which you mentioned earlier, more full circle. <laughs> um, Combs will say, like, would you rather electrocute yourself or the old lady in the wheelchair next to you? Or would you rather stab the person to your left in the leg or give the person to your right a flogging? You have 30 seconds to decide. And you watch the person in that 30 seconds assess their options as, you know, the person next to them is either like, don't stab me, or is saying, look, you can stab me. That person's been flogged too much already. He'll die. And you watch people change throughout the game as they accept the circumstances only one can survive. And it's disturbing of course although i think thankfully the movie is actually more tasteful in terms of what you see than most films of this ilk yeah but it's compelling watching these people rationalize you know and comes very entertaining in the movie like he's do- doing a few interesting things he's playing this heightened satirical version of the kind of multi-millionaire who presents himself to the public and wants to think of himself as being altruistic and charitable but can barely keep contained his resentment for poor people asking for what he sees as free money when he presents himself at the beginning as this benevolent rich person there's something so artificial about it something so fake like it's like he's trying too hard and he also seems to get off on the power he wields so so he puts those two things together in this warped version of a game show where he's the presenter and i think the most telling thing about his character is that he makes the victor of the game thank him as they leave <laughs> even after putting through putting them through all this horror he still sees himself as a good person yeah and Combs' natural weirdness and heightened energy suits the character well. He gives a lot of sinister lines on the page, a dose of black comedy just in the way he delivers them, uh, which is sort of the story of his life, I think. Yeah, yeah. He has also aged gracefully, mm, I think. That's and true, yeah. This movie came out in, only in 2012, and I feel like he's overdue a resurgence. Yeah, yeah. Preparing for this episode made me see why Combs is this cult figure in the horror community, and I'd like to see him as the veteran character in more modern horrors yeah, akin to yeah. someone like Barbara Crampton who yeah. will pop up in Channel Zero. Yeah, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. it's great to see her. You yeah. know, you know you'll, yeah. you'll see these, um, like even, you know, Ken Forey or people like that. Yeah, if any of our listeners have Shudder, there's a great four and a half hour documentary on it called In Search of, Har- in Search of Darkness, which is about uh, 80s horror from 1980 to 1989. And uh, Jeffrey Combs features in it a lot. But, uh, yeah, if you ever want to see what he's like, uh, see him, like, analyse and kind of dissect his career in the 80s, because he talks about uh, Reanimator and From Beyond a lot. And he's discussed discussed a lot of other movies as well. That's a uh, great opportunity to see what the man himself thinks about horror and uh, see, just, just to see a veteran talk about uh, movies that are now almost 40 years old. Yeah. I don't put you on the spot, but is there anything, as having watched that, is there anything noteworthy that Combs said about his career? I think you get the impression from those movies that um, not necessarily that, that like obviously they didn't come out of a vacuum but you get the sense that it was a real some of those movies like Reanimator and From Beyond there's a, there was a real movement behind them like uh, and though it was small and quite niche at the time I think like I don't think like obviously they went on to be called cult classics, but I don't think they ever made their money back uh, while they were in theaters or whatever. Um, but I think you, you get the real sense that it was um, if they felt and still feel now that they were kind of part of this like very uh, punk pushing the envelope taboo breaking movies, kind of like Shivers was in the seventies. But no matter how much we think of them now, no matter how much certain parts of them have aged poorly, like uh, I think the head giving head is maybe just a. A little bit too far, uh, as is 
the parts of From Beyond as well. I think they really um, kind of broke through a certain part, a certain wall that uh, horror was running up against at that time. Yeah, yeah. Th- those that's the impression fl- I th- get. Yeah, those flaws are very important to those movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. the reason you have all this extremity is because you weren't allowed to have it before. Yeah, you know, exactly. Reaction yeah. To that. yeah. Um, well, that's great. I'm, I'm definitely going to check that out. Mm. I haven't watched if it. If you have four and a half hours three. I never do, but uh, <laughs> maybe if I get to that desert island. Yeah, I watched it in parts, so you yeah. can treat it like a TV series. And it's it's broken up into like chapters, so like 1985 or like 3D. Yeah. Great. Um, rate, review and subscribe where you get podcasts. Uh, email us at iknowthatfacepod at gmail.com if you have any suggestions on who we should cover or you are someone who works in media and would like to be on the show. Follow us at Twitter at I know that face P1. Andrew has been killing it. Follow us on Instagram at I know that face. Uh, thanks to Charlene Fernandez again for running the Instagram page and for editing the podcast. Andrew, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. And check out the Headstuff film section. See you later, Cinephile. Bye bye. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.